You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith with Mag Smith riding along. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. Baltimoreans, I wish so deeply that Alan and I were modern podcasters who did our show on video. Because if we were, you would see a truly adorable sight that only I get to see. And you are jealous. I just want to tell you you're jealous. I am looking right now at my, my beloved friend and co-host, Alan Smith, in, in repose, supine in his bed with his adorable daughter, uh, barely awake on his chest, staring deep into my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> really locked in on the camera. Huh? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, so you may you may hear uh, little little Nico here um, opining on the I would say blockbuster trade of the last week. Uh, we are of whoo! course referring to the uh, best Nick since Marcakis. <laughs> yeah, with apologies both to uh, Nick the Stick Marcakis and Judge Marco Nick Markovich. The Nick Maton trade is the most exciting Nick news we have had on these airwaves in years. So what do you make of this sort of like, um, uh, like, I guess, I guess here's a question for you. And do you, do you know the answer to this? Are, is every team in the majors sort of like doing these, you know, like depth triple A quadruple a signings for rosters and are is everybody sort of like looking over everybody else's roster and making cash consideration offers for you know utility infielders or is that something that is like more mike elias being the smartest man thinking he's the smartest man in the room vibes do you have a sense of that i think what it is truly smith is It's the kind of thing that the Rays were doing for years with great success and everybody else was like, that surely that doesn't surely that can't work for them, even though it keeps working for them. Uh, And then eventually the rest of the league started to catch on like, oh, wait, that's um, a very affordable and and effective way to uh, win pennants slash uh, playoff berths. Um, And then. When Friedman went to the Dodgers, the Dodgers started doing that for all of their evil empire spending. I feel like they also started making interesting little perimeter pickups that served them very well. Uh, and then the I mean, Astros. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard coming off of last season when, like, <laughs> after what Aaron Hicks and Ryan O'Hearn just did. Exactly. Uh, or, or, and, and even, um, um, oh my gosh, how quickly we forget. What's the name of the second baseman that everybody on Twitter loves to hate, but that we both sort of enjoyed his work? Oh, Adam Frazier. <laughs> Adam Frazier, thank you. <laughs> like, the, 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 you know, those pickups, like, I don't know what the collective wins above replacement for those three dudes was last year, but it was high. Uh, so, so do we, do we think that, do we think that like your, your, your Nick, Nick's and your, um, uh, budget Soto's 
um, uh, are going to be sort of like that caliber of thing, or is, or is you just have to you have to take ten shots to get one Ryan O'Hearn? Well, I think it's ten shots to get one Ryan O'Hearn, but I feel like that's a lesson that Elias learned in Houston and has now brought to us, and. I feel like part of the reason it seems like the rest of the league is starting to catch on to that is because the the legend of Elias is growing. Um right. and people are starting to realize like yeah this is how this is how you do it. But what I think is particularly exciting, you know, all joking aside about the Meton trade um for the Orioles coming when it did is that it is such a crystallization of this particular moment of Orioles baseball, which is the kind of front office that will make a Corbin Burns trade when they have a shot at it, and the kind of front office uh, that is, uh, which perhaps is the result of feeling newly emboldened by new ownership, and it's still Mike Elias who is still going to roll the dice on the Nick Matons and the that Suarez fella we just... <laughs> <laughs> picked up off the scrap heap um yeah. who is probably sure. you know going to be our opening day uh long man in the bullpen somehow um he's still doing all the mike elias things so i tr- i choose to look at this as indicative of the fact that new circumstances in the executive suite are not going to change mike elias's ways and that makes me happy yeah, I mean, he's still got binders full of uh, binders full <laughs> of players that, for some reason, he thinks are going to be the next breakouts. Uh, you know, I, I I realize I just listed um, three guys and I didn't mention um, Yanni or Cano, which is like maybe yeah. uh, Elias's best find last year. Um, yeah, or Danny Coulomb. Yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, hats off to whatever. Uh, uh, Moneyball 3.0 thing is happening in the warehouse right now. Um, and I hope that, uh, this Nick, um, takes his place amongst the pantheon of great Orioles Nicks of the past. So talk to me about this then, Smith, because if we consider the Orioles infield in infield picture in 2024, which I can hear Nico doing as we speak, um, yeah. just constantly running different lineup cards in her mind, which uh, <laughs> is an indication right. to me that you're tra- you're raising her correctly. <laughs> um, right now, we can assume for certainty that we'll have an O'Hearn Mountcastle platoon at first base. We will have Jordan Westberg at second base. We will have probably Gunnar Henderson at shortstop, probably Ramon Urias at third base, and Nick Maton um, chomping at the bit to get innings at probably any of those positions other than first base. Did you just say Westberg? Westberg at second, yeah. Okay, he's starting at second in this in this hypothetical lineup. But this is, this is the fantastic thing, Smith. That already, offensively and defensively, is a playoff caliber infield. We know this because that was basically our infield last year, with apologies to the dearly departed Mr. Frazier. It doesn't even take into account the possibility of Jackson freaking Holiday, man. 
And I want to know what you want. What what are your hopes and dreams for Jackson Holiday coming out of spring training? Do you want us to just like throw him in there on opening day and let him get the reps at the big league level? Or do you think he's got a little bit more to prove at AAA? Uh, I, I, I do think, I do think what I'm about to say is slightly dependent on what goes on to happen in spring training over the next Mm -hmm. couple of weeks. But right now, as of pub date, I, uh, am enamored with the, um, 34th pick in the draft that we got for Gunnar Henderson being a rookie of the year whilst on the roster the entire way. And I think let's go ahead and run that back, baby. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I think that like the, the consensus seems to be this kid is really, really good at baseball. And <laughs> uh, why not give him that shot? I mean, the, the I guess at some point the courage of men will fail. Uh, and the <laughs> always in, does always the, does <laughs> the vaunted Orioles uh, farm system that has produced three consecutive number one uh, prospects in the country uh, back to back to back won't have someone come up and immediately become an all star. Um, but I'm not, you know, let's the thing. Good things happen in threes. If we can do the. <laughs> <laughs> the Adley Gunner um, Holiday back to back to back Rookie of the Year candidate. I say let's go for it. Yeah. Worst case scenario, it doesn't seem like this kid is the kind of talent who, um, like it, it. It doesn't seem to me like you're going to break him <laughs> if he if he comes up and he struggles for playing time and he and he scuffles a little bit and he has to go back down for a little while to go back to AAA. Uh, I don't think that's the end of the world, and I think that like. It seems like his, you know, because of his father and because of his mentality and everything you've seen from him, like he seems to be mentally invincible. Yeah, it, it <laughs> maybe really... that's because he's nineteen, right? Like maybe that's just what happens when you're a nineteen-year-old. But uh, it sure. seems it seems like he um, is is un, undefeated <laughs> at this moment in terms of his his progression. Yeah, and, and I will add to that. I think those are all excellent points, and I will add to that that he has basically spent this entire offseason, it seems, on primetime television embracing the mantle of most exciting young player in all of baseball. Um, he, he You know, there have been all these features with him on TV, and, you know, he's appeared in all these, like, uh, you know, high-profile YouTube channels um, goofing around with his dad and his brother. Um, his brother, by the way, also a top prospect. What are they eating in that family? <laughs> um, so it certainly seems like he is ready for the spotlight. Um, and the only thing I would I would add to what you said, Smith, is like uh, I feel like he, unlike Machado, when Machado came up, unlike Adley, when Adley came up, and to a certain extent, even unlike Gunner, when Gunner came up, it's not like there is a tremendous amount of pressure on Jackson Holiday to be the savior. He like the team is already absolutely, and he doesn't need to play above his current level. If he played at his current level, he would already be a serviceable everyday major league shortstop. Yeah, 
I think that's right. And I think, I think that the, that the, that the, because we've had Adley and because we've had Gunner, like in, in some way of looking at it, that sort of increases the pressure to kind of keep the streak going. But in every other way, like this team is without him favored to make the playoffs. And I think one thing we learned, we've learned over the last five years or so is that it doesn't really matter what your record is as long as you get a playoff spot. Um, what matters is you're hitting your stride at the right time and everybody's healthy and you don't have the wrong slump in the wrong five game series. Mm-hmm. That's how people win world series rather than being the best team over 162 games. Yeah. So to me, the, one one of the realities about baseball with the extra um you know wild cards and all those other things is that our priority stops being winning 101 games that was fun last year i would love that that happened again <laughs> but our priority is actually see you know using the first 3 months assuming we can at least stay close to the pace yep to see what we got and yep. to kind of put together the best possible team. And that actually sort of changes to me the value of those early games where I would much rather have people who we think could be the eventual people who are winning World Series getting their reps in rather than like prioritizing winning um, above all else in those games. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And last thing maybe on this to add is we're not we didn't even bring up the name Kobe Mayo yet who is also a top prospect uh who has primarily i believe played middle infield um in the minor leagues i i from what i understand uh i think they feel like he profiles a little bit more as a corner guy long term cuz he's a big boy um but if we bring Jackson Holiday up, it makes it so that all of the developmental at-bats at AAA can go to Kobe Mayo um, rather than Jackson Holiday and Kobe Mayo fighting for a job that doesn't really need to be a fight. Like, Holiday is obviously the shortstop slash third baseman slash second baseman of the future, um, it, and why not? let him complete his development at the big league level when it doesn't seem like it'll be a liability for him to do that. Are, we, are, are people thinking that Mayo is sort of the third baseman of the future? Well, or is uh, that Gunner? Well, I, I mean, the Kobe Mayo thing is really interesting because, um, I mean, I guess I'm looking at this now. I guess the thought with Kobe is that he's more of a third baseman slash first baseman. Um, okay. I believe he has played some shortstop also, but he's six five two thirty. Um so he's a he's a chonker. That's uh, a big boy. Yeah. And I think that um it, you know it, it, yeah, I mean to your point, like the the gunner Jackson log jam on the left side of the infield is gonna be a fun competition, but one that does need to be resolved. But you know, is Kobe Mayo going to force Gunnar Henderson out of the infield? No, <laughs> that's that's not something that's that's going to happen. 
and maybe maybe it's the case that Kobe Mayo is is the first baseman of the future. But Smith, that's to say nothing of Heston Kerstad, <laughs> yeah. who we also have. This yeah. is so enjoyable. It's it's crazy, man. I, it's it's all very it's all very exciting. I you know, and I I think that the that the that the um, gosh, it, it, it's it's so fascinating that like two years ago you would have said that uh, the Holy Roman Empire was probably like one of the five most important Orioles. Yeah, and he's now. I don't know. Three months trade, from complete obsolescence. Trade bait? <laughs> yeah, trade bait. Yeah, which is too bad because I really like Ramon Urias. I think I mean, he's you know, it, awesome. There's a world in which he uh, gets his bat back. I mean, I think I think he didn't have a great hitting season last year, but I think I think he's proven that he can. So For if sure. he makes himself um, indispensable. <laughs> Uh, then that's just another piece. I mean, that probably keeps Mayo down on the farm um, a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. It is a truly ridiculous time to be an Orioles fan. And yet, Smith, and yet, let this not keep us from our customary jaundiced eye and pessimistic nature. Because (laughs) what if... John Means' recovery is not uh, sustainable. What if Kyle Bradish regresses? What if Grayson Rodriguez cannot sustain the progress that he made in the second half of last year? Dare I say it, and I don't want to. What if Corbin Burns gets hurt? Well, Smith, the question then becomes, is this rotation truly built for the long haul? And so, with that in mind, I invite you to consider this truly ridiculous list of names of starting pitchers who, two weeks out from the start of spring training, are still available. And I, Those, as, 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 you, as you look for that list, I will say... Um, I think that personally, if we were to make one more signing before the season started or even uh, look for acquisitions in the season, the thing that I'm most interested in right now is somebody who throws very hard and can conceivably be a seventh, eighth and sometimes ninth inning person. Because I think that that's actually I, I, I accept your premise and we will talk now about rotation guys. But uh, I think that the that the current need right now, I think we're one fireballer short of the um, company picnic in the pen. I agree. I agree. Well, when it comes to starters, feast your ears on this list. Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery. I'm not going to talk about Trevor Bauer because fuck that guy. I'm not going to talk about Julio Urias, because fuck that guy, too. Wow, this list just got a lot shorter. <laughs> Man, sports are so much fun. <laughs> Zach Greinke. Hin Jin Ryu. I hope I said that correctly. I've never been able to figure out how you're supposed to pronounce it. 
Michael Lorenzen, Mike Clevenger, who I believe may also have an assault charge against him. So maybe fuck that guy also. Good uh, God, really? <laughs> yep. I was going to say Corey Kluber, but literally as I was opening my phone to pull up this list, uh, news broke that Corey Kluber has retired. <laughs> well, we didn't want him anyway. So exunt Kluber, Johnny Cueto, Vince Velasquez. Corey Kluber retired before Johnny Cueto? <laughs> Look, Smith, it's 2024. Nobody, nobody in Vegas. You could have given me 3,000 to 1 odds. <laughs> The rules do not apply. Noah Syndergaard. Dang, Madison, man, that's, a, that's a sad story. Madison Bumgarner. Oh, boy. <laughs> and Brandon this, Woodruff. This is a darker list than you led me to believe. Well, let's take Woodruff off the list. Obviously, we're not signing Brandon Woodruff because he's not even going to pitch this year. And, I mean, maybe we sign him as, like, a, a long-term depth bet. But uh, I I don't really see that happening. Um, let's also take Madison Bumgarner off the list because I, I really have a hard time believing that's going to happen. I think Syndergaard as well because I don't think that that's a reasonable... I, I think he's done. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's anything left in the tank there. Sorry, Noah. Um, I hope that you were able to save some money. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, but let's let's consider first the um, the two obvious candidates who would definitively be upgrades over what we currently have, which is to say Snell and Montgomery. Do either of those gentlemen intrigue you, Smith? Uh, yes, I would say I am roundly intrigued by both. Um, I, I confess that most of my like scouting and understanding of players that are not currently Orioles are only um, when those players played against us. Um, and so my, my, uh, I, 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 I would not classify myself as someone who um, deep has a deep and abiding knowledge of uh, like what either one of them bring to the table. But my sense is that Blake Snell is a very good pitcher and I'm surprised he's, he's the name that I'm surprised is sort of still out there for, consideration um in a world of uh uh <laughs> when the yankees still exist <laughs> yeah yeah uh one of the things i am curious about when it comes to uh blake snell is if you look at snell like so snell obviously the defending national league Cy Young winner. So it, it's kind of insane that he has not found a contract here in <laughs> the offseason yet. Is that because do, do we do we think that's just because he values him like he, he's asking for a, a crazy amount of money? Uh, he's almost certainly asking for a crazy amount of money. He also did walk five guys per nine innings last year, um, mm. which is a huge number. Um, and. I don't know, at, at like 99 walks in 180 innings is a lot. Um, the, the question I'm really intrigued about is, so Blake Snell last year, 14 and nine with a 2.25 earned run average. Blake Snell, when Gary Sanchez was catching, got 11 of those wins 
and had an ERA of 1.29. We don't need any more catchers, Gary. (laughs) What I can't figure out is, like, I, you know, (laughs) obviously Blake Snell has been good before when Gary Sanchez wasn't on his team. I also don't think Gary Sanchez is, no shade to Gary Sanchez, uh, you know, for any Brewers fans listening, but... I don't really think he's that much of a genius that he's capable of like turning a, a mediocre pitcher into a world-class pitcher. But it is notable to me that so much of Snell's success happened with Sanchez behind the plate. That's fascinating. Um, I, I guess I guess I think I mean I'm I am Snell curious, but I don't think I'm um we we made the play for the ace. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think we've got at least two people who profile as elite uh, ace potential already in the wings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't and I'm really invested in the long term contracts for Gunner and Adley before I'm invested in us tying an albatross around our necks in terms of a starting pitcher contract that would cost what I think Blake Snell is probably asking for. Yeah. Um, maybe that's the reason why he's unsigned. Uh, so I guess I would say of those options, Montgomery uh, seems like a more um, what we would actually need um, innings eater, um, John Means coverage, uh, Radish regression coverage kind of a, of a, of a get. Mm-hmm. And still uh, keep that keep that budget open for the uh, 12 year deals for Adley and Gunner. Yeah. Uh, I did just find, by the way, Blake Snell without Gary Sanchez in 2023, three and six with an earned run average of 3.60. What's the name of the catcher prospect that is like coming up that we have yet to mention in terms of our Orioles prospect bonanzas? Oh, Samuel Um, Basalo. Basalo. Basayo, I guess. I I don't know how you pronounce it. Could he is is there a chance that where where is he in his is he double or triple right now? In his A's. I believe he made it as high as double A last year. Let me just confirm that. He, yes, uh, made it at the tender age of 18, made it to Bowie last year where he hit 467. Oh, but it was only in four games. Okay. (laughs) You know, small sample sizes are small sample sizes, but... um, But in his, uh, I, in I, his... I, don't want, I don't want to take us back to prospect talk and to how exciting that is. But um, if he could be the number two behind Adley in a year and a half, boy, that's exciting. Yeah. Well, I, my dream scenario here, Smith, is that we sign Adley to the long term deal. Let. Uh, Adley catch for two more years and then move him to first base at the age of 28, 29, um, where he can become an excellent switch hitting high on base percentage first baseman for the remainder of his Orioles career, just in time for Basayo to come up and become an all world uh. offensive catcher. Yeah, I mean, if beside and 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 also, if you if you still have the opportunity for Adley to catch one third of the games, kind of like the role that uh, the Weasel was in this season for us, where he he was behind the plate a lot. Like we used our backup catcher a lot. 
mm-hmm. um, if Adley could play backup catcher and yep. in that role and split yep. some time between first base, uh, DH and and catching. Yeah. Yeah. Get all hot and bothered. Yeah. Um, so going back to pitchers, may I assume that your feelings about Blake Snell are similar to your feelings about Jordan Montgomery, who by all accounts is seeking a six-year, $160 million contract? That's a lot, man. I don't know. I, I, um... I shouldn't say by all accounts, by some accounts. I, ha- I, I, do not, I do not know the underlying statistics. So I think I'm more pro Montgomery than I am Snell mm-hmm. based on uh, very little <laughs> outside information. Um, but uh, that's a lot and that's a long contract. And I think that does in some ways, well, I guess, I guess it will be a little bit of a, of a, um, of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stress test about how serious this new ownership group is. Mm-hmm. If you come in and you trade for Burns and you sign Montgomery, um, not only is that an incredible Simpsons reference, but also <laughs> that really is like a, um, that's a really aggressive push into the, into the center of the, of the pot. Yeah. Um, I don't really understand how, I mean, we talk about it all the time, and I still feel this way. I don't really understand how the finances of baseball teams work, um, such that, like... I think they does, don't, is the answer. Does, <laughs> well, does the fact that we have had the lowest payroll in baseball for many years now, does that, in fact, mean that the Orioles have some, uh, you know, um, operating slack uh, that they could spend on Montgomery... And still be able to re-sign a Burns and put put. I mean, because I think I think to me the priority number one is, as we've been saying, long-term contract. Priority number two is keeping the slack in the system to re-sign Burns if he makes the move and is uh, good and va- valuable. Uh, I'd rather not have given up the prospects we did and then have him walk after a year. Yeah. Um, and then priority number three, if both of those things are feasible and you've still got some cash kicking around because of the naming rights of the stadium or, or what have you, then um, I'm, then, I'm, then I'm in on, on a Montgomery or a Snell. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, maybe the question is, uh, sure, you could have Jordan Montgomery as long as you're willing to stomach the reality of T. Rowe Price Field <laughs> at Camden Yards. Um you know what would help with this deliberation, though, Smith, is what if imagine this crazy scenario where the owner of a team offered to, like, open the books to the media <laughs> so nah. that, in fact, the entire financial picture could be analyzed. Like, that would be a crazy thing for an owner to do. I wonder if we'll ever see an owner who's willing to do it. Who knows? Who knows? Your boy's coming in hot, but um, you know, I, I have a strong, um, strong uh, fool me once, shame on, <laughs> shame on you. <laughs> fool me multiple times with billionaire, shame on me stance yeah. here. Mm-hmm. So let me add, let's. So that's that's. Wait, wait, wait. So 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 back to you. Do you mm. do you think? Uh, is 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 my calculus correct here, or do you think that there is another? Uh, are you are you more pro 
Snell or pro Montgomery in that, in that sort of like overpriced, probably paying for past performance, slightly um, calculus. I have no ah! interest in Blake Snell. None at all. Uh, none. I think he has had two truly elite seasons with a lot of injury and mediocrity surrounding it. Um, and I think that's that's a fool's gold contract at any price. Stay away. Not interested. Um, when it comes to Montgomery, I can see my way clear in an environment where signing him to a long-term contract doesn't impede our ability to sign the extensions that we were talking about. I can see my way clear to a Montgomery contract. He has been extremely consistent. He doesn't have a lot of mileage on his arm. He's young enough. I think he's only 30. Um, and I think he he's like a professional major league pitcher who gives the rotation a relative veteran presence of the kind that we have had in the form of Jordan Lyles and Kyle Gibson in previous years. It makes it so that if Burns does walk next year because we don't want to pay him $300 million or after he wins the AL Cy Young this year for us, um, it, it gives us some certainty in the rotation. It again takes some pressure off of... Rodriguez and Bradish to have to like be aces by next year in order to guard against the uh, likelihood of the Burns departure. It just it it depressurizes things a little bit. It it possibly Smith allows Dean Kramer to become that hard throwing bullpen presence that mm, that's you're interesting. interested in. Yeah. Um, that's let's, interesting. Or let's Dean Kramer become a swing guy, which is, you know, a role he's arguably maybe a little bit better qualified for. Um, so I could see my way clear to it as long as it doesn't jeopardize the extensions that I agree with you are more valuable. But let's let's talk for a second about what I would classify as the next tier of pitchers yes. on this list. The I'm going to call it the crafty veteran tier. Uh, in which I would include Zach Greinke, Johnny Cueto, and Ryu. Um, I think there is an interesting opportunity here to sign any of these guys to a one-year make-good contract. They are all people who, at their best, are probably still capable of pitching at a number three starter level in the case of Ryu maybe trending towards number two, if he can stay healthy, um, they are all grizzled veterans. <laughs> they all have playoff experience and on a staff, uh, that is going to be fronted by young guys, would provide a sort of anchoring influence of the kind that Gibson and Lyles did, it wouldn't be a tragedy if any of them didn't really pan out very well. Um, and they would, and it would be a veteran presence that unlike Lyles and Gibson, we don't need to also be 
our ace. They can just be an old guy with good stories <laughs> who's clubhouse dad and, you know, takes the ball every fifth day and gives us five gritty innings. So I guess then give, I, I, I think that that role makes a lot of sense to me and probably even makes more sense than the Snell Montgomery uh, uh, tier. Um, and I think that then the, there's a couple of like questions I have about sort of like, you know, clubhouse culture. And I think that one of the things that we really learned a lot about last year was that Kyle um, Gibson was, you know, incredibly valuable beyond the innings that he ate up in terms of the, the ability to create a place that people wanted to be, bring young guys along, teach everybody how to play Monopoly. Like that seemed like a real, a real thing. So Granky, from what I have read and understand is at best mercurial, <laughs> right? Like, On a good day, he's mercurial. He's, like he's a, he is a weird, also Baltimoreans. Um, this is the first of, oh, what are we on? Maybe like 200 episodes, Sam? 220? Something like that. This is the first Baltimoreans episode to date that has successfully had a live diaper change on air. Oh. Uh, so just knock that one off the to-do list. Oh, it is not um, lost on me, Smith, list. that that as we were talking about Clubhouse Dad, you were literally changing a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a bad one, too. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I think that... Gr- I think that if that's the role you're going for, you can't just look at what they would be doing on on-field performance. Mm-hmm. Greinke seems like a loon, um, yep. and I don't know that he is the kind of person. I mean, some people people who have played with him seem to like him. Yeah. Um. So maybe he's a charismatic loon. Mm-hmm. Um. I I don't know. I don't have a sense for. Um, Rayu in the same way. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know where he, that person. Like I don't know where he would fit into that question mark. But I, I do feel a little bit like, um, you know, his game, his on-field game of tricksy soft toss, etc. Um, not only is it something that I would rather have him on the Orioles than having to face him because he constantly bedevils us, but also, you know, I, I feel like, um, that probably ages pretty well. Like his game doesn't seem like it's going to, it's going to yeah. suddenly abandon him. Totally. Um, and then who was the third one on our list? Third one is Johnny Cueto. Ah, uh, I honestly think Johnny Cueto had retired. Like I, I, <laughs> I cannot get my head around signing Johnny Cueto. I, I, I don't play fantasy baseball anymore, uh-huh. um, but uh, I think I last did before my first daughter was born. So that would be in 2020. And Johnny <laughs> Cueto was washed in 2020. <laughs> in the 2019 season, Johnny Cueto had like an ERA of like 5.9 or something like that. Uh, that is correct. 5.40 to be exact. Yeah, well, he was um, one of your friendly public options uh, in, our, in the public options swan song before that team was disbanded quietly into the night. So I maybe have some baggage with Cueto, but I just yeah. I think he's like I, I, he's the, the I, I could I could sort of like talk myself into Granky and Ryu being um, valuable on field contributors 
uh, Quatos to me seems like he's just like he's too too far gone, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, the I think I'm mostly with you. The note of intrigue I will offer, though, is that as recently as 2022, Cueto pitched 158 innings of 3.35 earned run average baseball and started uh, 24 games, um, albeit with... That's good. A- and pitched to a fielding independent earned run average of 3.79 a whip of 1.2 and that is striking out under six batters per game. <laughs> so that's devilry. Um, I will say of all of these guys, I think I like Cueto as a flyer most of all, because I think I, I just don't trust Ryu to be able to stay healthy. Um, oh yeah, he just always, yeah. always, always misses time. I mean, obviously, with all of these guys, they're very old, and the idea that uh, any of them would stay healthy for an entire season is probably dreaming. But Cueto is the one who seems like the best mix of intriguing ceiling. Seems like a great clubhouse presence, veteran awareness. Um, and experience, like if you if if it was a move you were going to make for those reasons, I feel like he's he's the best gamble. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, so I mean, I I, I um, I guess I guess I am the most in. I guess again, it comes down to who I've seen pitch against us, and I think that sort of I have I have bad memories of Rayu uh, being unhittable at Orioles Park. So maybe I'm over-indexing for that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. All right, Smith. Uh, Well, the last tier I would would classify as the wild card tier, Um, and that is going to be Michael Lorenzen, Mike Clevenger, and Vince Velasquez. These I think are there's all... a lot of there's a lot of Lorenzen buzz on my Twitter. People seem to be excited about that as a as a potential flyer. Yeah, Uh, I mean, I think. Lorenzen could be uh, this is this is why this is the wild card tier at times last season most notably when he pitched a freaking no hitter Lorenzen can really really shove um but the Lorenzen implosion last year was also a hideous sight to behold um Clevenger I think has been much more consistent but has also been on a bit of a steady decline from his previous heights um he between 2017 and 2020 was truly one of the better starters in baseball and um then has has tailed off a bit since then although he did somewhat like unheralded pitch 130 innings of 3.77 earned run average baseball last year for the White Sox. Uh, And then you have Velasquez, who uh, I think is, is one of those guys who like, I don't really know why he doesn't have as much of a reputation. I think it's because He's always been like a little bit more of like a stuff guy than a um, 
like results guy. Um, but he did start eight games for the Pirates last year, pitched to a 3.86 earned run average. Um, he's maybe the lowest ceiling option. Um, well, what's crazy to me is for the first time since I've been an Orioles fan, I feel like if tomorrow we wake up to the news that any of these three guys has been signed, it's because Mike Elias thinks that they're going to be great. And therefore I think that they're going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. Like what a, what an exciting weird world to live in that like there's a, um, you know, uh, that there's somebody going through all the underlying warps and schnorps looking at these three guys and saying like, I choose to be the kingmaker in this way. Yeah. And that he's mostly right. Yeah. No, it, it's, it is honestly a good position to be in that. Like we're not so far removed from a world where one of these guys would have been signed as our premier, um, Hoping them to be the pickup. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and when I say not that far removed, I mean, like... <laughs> Last season. I, I would even say, like, two or three, you know, two weeks ago, before the Burns acquisition, because signing Craig Kimbrell is not super different from signing Granky or uh, Cueto. You know what I mean? Like, this is this is a dude who's, like clearly passed his prime and has had some ugly seasons in recent memory, but has pitched at a elite level in the not so distant past. And there's hope that he's got just enough left in the tank. So yeah, I I guess my question there is, does that make you feel better about Kimbrel? (laughs) By your, Uh, by your Elias logic from, by my Elias logic. Um, uh, I guess I, I guess it has to, right? <laughs> but I, I I guess um that scene I think I think we've got that particular signing pretty well pigeonholed. I think that, that yeah. we're we're right there. That's a that is a um that is a flyer on past performance. Hopefully you can get it together. If you can't, no big deal, we've got other options. Yeah. The question that I have about the Kimbrel signing is I felt much better about the Kimbrel signing when I also felt like we had DL Hall still in the bullpen because DL Hall is like a high octane strikeout oriented pitcher who I at least, and I, I think other fans felt this way too. And no, no less than Rock Kubako recently said like DL Hall could be the next Josh Hader. Um, and so I think there was a little bit of a thought like, yeah, maybe DL Hall gets groomed as a closer over the next couple of seasons without him. Yeah. I was shipping that too, man. Uh, without him, I think, I think that the, well, well, I said, I said at the top of the show, I I still think we need to get another fireballer in there, even if they're not somebody who has closed or profiles as a closer in the past, just to kind of give a different look to our bullpen. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I am anxious, a little bit anxious about the potential for the end of our rot- uh, the, the 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 back end of everything to let us down more than it has in the past. Yeah, 
Yeah. Although maybe we'll be one of those teams that mostly relies on its starting pitchers instead of its bullpen. What's that like? <laughs> Weird. I believe that's that's uh, what what the um, World Series winning Texas Rangers just experienced. Yep. Yep. Well, Smith, uh, just one more thing to cover on the show today, and that is the news that broke yesterday that uh, it is possible or allowable, maybe would be a better word, allowable, conceivable, that as part of the approval of the Rubenstein purchase of the team, the Rubenstein group purchase of the team, the league could force the Orioles to sell Masson sell its interest in Masson. Uh, so it it seems unclear based on the current reporting whether that's actually going to happen. But uh, as we countenance the possibility of many changes in the Orioles that we have recognized for the last generation or so, from the name of the stadium to the presence of patches on the sleeve to possibly the return of the ornithologically correct hat. What's that about? Um, What do you feel about the possibility of no longer uh, having Masson as our, our, quote-unquote, reliable source for Orioles broadcasts. Any any treasured mass and memories you want to share? Well, as an expatriate Orioles fan who uh, mostly gets my games through the MLB app, uh, I feel like the mass and experience for people who live in the Baltimore area is actually way worse. Yeah, like, I agree. <laughs> Like the people who actually are like stuck with the in market, like who who have to have cable and have to watch on cable, seem to really dislike Masson. Mm-hmm. I I feel sort of like fine, but I'm only ever getting it through the the auspices of the out of town, um, yeah, uh, out of market major league baseball watcher. Um, you know, I am very invested in Kevin Brown. Ben McDonald, the experience of those guys calling games, um, the other infrastructure further behind the scenes. I just, I just don't have a strong opinion about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the entire, honestly, the entire kerfuffle with the nationals has always left me kind of like, I'm, I, I, maybe I've never dug into it enough to get, make it be interested, but I'm not, I'm, I just, I can't, I can't get there. Yeah. Doesn't seem, doesn't seem to me to be exciting it seems to me to be a bunch of sort of like um wealthy people ask, act, acting poorly um yeah eh. yeah no i'm i'm with you i i i think i think the the real thing that can the, the only thing that concerns me about the idea of losing masson is what would happen to Rock Kabatko? What would happen to Kevin Brown? What would happen to Ben McDonald? What would happen to Jim yeah. Palmer? Like, not that Jim Palmer or Ben McDonald are like in a bad place in life if they don't have a job. I think they're they're both fine. But I love them as color commentators, and I love yeah. Kevin Brown as a play by play guy, and I love Rock Kabatko's reporting. Um, they they just all do such a day in day out excellent job and and that's to say nothing of 
Um, the folks from the past who, I mean, obviously we stand Gary Thorne forever on this podcast. Um, and I'll even throw one in there for good old Jim Hunter, who came in for his share of ridicule on our <laughs> show, but was was a really companion. He was good company. Yeah. And um, I really don't like the level of quote unquote commentary that I see on a lot of other regional sports networks when I'm flipping around on my MLB TV app. Um, yeah. Those, a, yeah. A lot of the guys some in those booths. Is, some of that is grim. They don't really even say anything. They just kind of sit there and make passing remarks every once in a while. Mostly you're listening to stadium ambiance. Um, and I think the, the talent that Masson has hired to say, you know, let's not talk about the way it's run, but the talent that they have hired has always, always been gold standard, good company. And I'd be really well, sad. And to what, I guess what I don't folks. know about any sort of threat or insistence from the league that the Orioles sell Masson or get out of their interest in Masson. What I don't know about that is like, are, do we still, you know, are, 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 did those people's relationships with the Orioles still continue apace yeah that that's a good question that's a good question uh if only we could conceive of an owner who would open the books and allow us to see uh <laughs> exactly which entities the team owns employ which talent um i i don't know i have to imagine that somebody like kevin brown would be jumped on uh if i mean if his services were available i i would have to think somebody else would want him um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, and I think honestly, one of the uh, uh, tertiary but still important uh, things about the Angelos is no longer being in charge is that I now feel slightly more confident that Kevin Brown will be back this season calling Orioles games <laughs> because I feel I, I I worried that after the kerfuffle last season he might be on the open market. Now I feel like okay, no, he. He likes the Orioles. The Orioles like him, and there's not this um, uh, uh, blacklist, whatever the fuck weirdness that was last season, hanging over everything because Angelos is out of the picture. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, if it is the end of the Masson era, hopefully it is not the end of the Brown era. <clears throat> These, of course, are questions that we are not yet in a position to answer. There is, however, Smith, one question that we thankfully are in a position to answer. Uh, and that question, of course, is this. What, Alan, would you call former Orioles prospect and fleetingly Orioles outfielder Henry Yerudia if he was a crafty and portly left-handed pitcher still available on the 2024 free agent market. I'll, I'll add who has trouble uh, staying Henry on the active roster for a full season. Ryurita. There it is. You got Ryurita? it. Ryurita? Yeah. Ryu Ryurudia? Ryurudia. Ryurudia is better. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's what it's called when you re-sign Henry Ryurudia. You Ryurudia. <laughs> Which has never happened. <laughs> Hopefully we will neither re-sign Yerudia or sign Hinjin Ryu. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we'll talk to you next week, Baltimoreans. Farewell. Uh, will, will we? Nope, we won't. We won't. <laughs> I'm I'm so sorry. Alan and I will both be... <laughs> you know what's amazing? In the air, I believe. <laughs> Alan will be in Florida, and I will be in Arizona, but it won't be for spring training <laughs> on either of our parts. <laughs> Damn it. We're doing something terribly wrong here, Sam. We really are. We really are. We'll uh, talk but to you all in a couple weeks. We'll be back in two weeks, and thank you for listening as always. Baltimoreans. <laughs> <laughs>